From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're on episode 259 to talk about night anxiety and then heaven and hell, what that means, what I think it means. And I'm diving into those because these are really great questions. The heaven and hell I haven't answered before on the show, and I'm excited about it. But the first question is from Beth pertaining to one of the biggest challenges I feel with anxiety because night anxiety for me was quite daunting. And I'm going to break apart what it was like for me to deal with night anxiety. But she says, I've been struggling with terrible night anxiety. I'd wake up around 12 or 1 and I sit in front of the TV, sometimes distract myself with the iPad, maybe eat something. And then she says, sometimes I will walk around feeling overwhelmed about not getting enough sleep. Yes. We're, let's dive into that, Beth, because man, isn't, isn't that the truth? And just know that you're not alone dealing with that night anxiety. Trust me on this one. Consistent anxiety can have a ripple effect on all areas of your life, okay? So the worry then loops the symptoms and then that loops the worry and it keeps snowballing. What does that mean? Well, think about the worry. What's going on? You're in fight, flight, or freeze mode. And what that means is you're in novelty and your body is preparing to deal with that novelty appropriately. And then your adrenaline goes up, your cortisol goes up, you are on high alert. So everything that wasn't relevant to you before is now relevant. And there's a lot of snakes. It's like trying to sleep, knowing that you have a cobra behind your washing machine right? Like you're not going to sleep, man. Like imagine that, like, like, oh, I'll deal with that Cobra in the morning. It's like, there's no way you're going to bed with that thing in your house, man. No way. And that same site, that's the same psychologically. You have many problems, snakes up in the mind. How are you going to go to sleep with all that, man? You're just going to be up thinking about it, worrying, wondering, and it loops and it snowballs and it is rough. But I'm here to say there are ways and strategies to deal with this chaotic mess going up in going on up in the mind. So, and also note this, Beth, that the lack of sleep then continues to snowball anxiety because without the proper sleep, right, it destabilizes the mood and you're more susceptible to anxiety. But Don't worry too much about that because we're going to dive more into strategy today. And so before we dive into that, I want to talk about my experiences with night anxiety. Maybe you can relate to this, okay? So for me, knowing that I had a difficult day ahead of me tomorrow, this would keep me up. And so my night routine would go something like this. I had no plan of action for the day the next day, 
I would walk around. I would talk to my family about you know, how I'm feeling. I'm dreading this. I'm, I'll sit in front of the TV. The TV was my go-to. I had a TV in my room, right? So I would sit in front of the TV, complain about how my day is going to go. Um, I'll eat something and I'll continue to snack at night. And then I'll go up to bed and then my mom would be racing. You know, I'll brush my teeth, jump into bed and just lay there and then think about the time. And I'd have a clock there and I'd look at the clock consistently and be like, oh my God, it's, you know, it's 1030 now. I got to get to bed. Oh my God, it's 1130. Oh my God, I have to get to bed. I'm not going to function properly. And then the thoughts would accumulate and it would continue to accumulate. Then I would get up, walk around the house, go downstairs, maybe grab a bite to eat. Uh, um, you know, just, you know, I would, I would be, I would even consider talking to my family, even, even at one in the morning, like I have to talk to somebody. I'm just full of worry and anxiety. And so that was my typical night. And sometimes I would call in sick that very night, right? For work. Cause I'd be so terrified of showing up and being a fool at my job because I don't, you know, I, I'd be too tired. How am I going to function? I'm going to make mistakes. I got to call in. And so then I, I, sometimes I would call, I remember one time I called my work at like one, two in the morning and I said, well, I can't come in. I'm ill. Uh, I left a message obviously, cause they're not in at that time. But, um, yeah, I called in saying I'm ill. I can't come in. And I felt really good because, but then the problem is you feel good that you have a day off tomorrow, but then once that day is done, you have to still go back into work because the dragon of showing up to work is still looming, right? And that's what I mean when I say you have to tackle the root causes rather than the immediate quick fixes. And so because your sympathetic nervous system is on, That's an indicator that certain monsters in the dark have not been addressed, right? For me, there were many and my life wasn't chaotic. It was too random and unpredictable. I mean, that ran, the randomness is not a very good thing to have in your life because the body wants a routine. It wants to be automated as much as possible. So there are monsters in the dark, right? And they certainly come out at night. So whenever you hear people say to the child, hey, there's no monsters in the dark. Oh, of course there are. To us adults, especially when it's just you in your own mind in bed at one in the morning, there are monsters, man, and they're there to eat you. That's for sure. Well, when you're lying in bed, there are... There's a to-do list running around your head. There's life experiences that you're worried about. There are problems, concerns. I remember the other night, um, there was a problem with my car and I woke up, I was just thinking about my car. I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen with my car? And so, yeah, when there's a problem, it propagates and, sorry, populates the mind with its I guess you can say round chaos, the the energy, right? The unsolved problem looming because the mind wants to solve the problem. That's why it's looming. It's, 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 it's there, man. 
And so this week, I posted a video on the YouTube channel talking about trauma, talking about releasing the stored emotional memories. So go check that out because that's really important. We all have traumas. Traumas on a spectrum, you know, and there's very serious traumas like going into war and then there's other traumas, common day traumas like getting into a fender bender on the highway. That's a trauma. Having a really... Um, stressful fight with the person you love is a trauma. We have to address these because Michael Singer, the great spiritual teacher of our age, says that we stack all these things in our life of what we don't like. and They stack and stack and stack and they come up, they keep coming up. But we can release this stack of emotion. But we have to learn to face them voluntarily, and know that on the other side of the pain, there's that release, right? So go check out that video because it's super important. But let's look at the brain and what's happening here because the brain populates the mind with images of potential realities. So the potential of your car not working tomorrow or having to pay a a crazy bill or you know, are you going to solve this problem tomorrow? I don't know, right? And and that populates itself with images. You see yourself not solving the problem. You see yourself having that panic attack. You see yourself dealing with that terrible customer at work and you don't know what to do and it's worrying you and, and it's still playing itself out. But we invest our attention in this and our energy And this ignites our stress system. And we don't resolve it because what do we know? Like like until you learn how to resolve this, it just stays in your system and continues to rev. Then for me, on top of my already full glass of problems comes another big problem, which is the alarm clock, right? That's the Captain Hook story where the clock is literally in the crocodile and it's chasing him. Like, what's that symbolic message? Well, that's the message of the adult, the tyrannical adult being afraid of time. Now, why would an adult be afraid of time? Because you age. And as time moves forward, potential of who you could be looms even harder over you the judgmental father that is God looming over you. You're not, you're not meeting potential. And what do people do when they know that they're not meeting potential? They hide it and they continue to go about their life, but they cope and they manage and they live in this conveyor belt like way that society wants them to live all moving towards the boneyard and it's better that we ignore that clock because we don't want to see how much of our life is wasted because it'll terrify us like people are afraid of the harsh realities of existence and for me when we shrink that to the alarm clock late at night what that symbolizes and what that means is well time's ticking away and the more time ticks away the more worse i'm going to be by tomorrow. A lot of problems, right? Time ticks 
and problems arise and continue to arise and the worry revolves around that clock, right? And it makes sense because the mind will say, "Uh uh-oh, it's one o'clock, I'm only going to get four hours, oh, what's the point now, I'm screwed and this and that and all these words come up in the mind. It is a nasty thing to behold. Now, let's get into strategies here. Now, Beth, it's not just what you do right before bed that determines your quality of sleep. You guys know this. It's what you do periodically throughout the day. So first, what helped me is to talk to somebody. Talk to your family. Talk to somebody that you trust that can genuinely help you with the problems that you're contending with. Now, for me, the family only goes so far because eventually they only know as much as you know and then you need to seek help elsewhere. And so for me, I found a coach, I found a YouTube channel, I found a podcast that helped me manage my anxiety the right way. Because really, you want to find somebody that you relate to and you connect with. And then most importantly, how did they overcome the problem? Like, did they manage it? And I, I want to know, right? And we love those YouTubers that tell us the solutions to the problems we're searching up online, okay? So the world is so bloody complicated. You need a second brain, right? You can't just rely on your brain. I can't rely just on mine. I need someone else's brain. I need many, many brains to help me navigate through this complicated world that we live in. Now, for me, I would listen to those podcasts while going to bed. I was obsessed about learning about anxiety. I was obsessed about resolving this crazy, chaotic time in my life. So I'd put on their podcast and their voice soothed me into sleep. Relaxing, calming, because I was hungry for this information and the information was providing me with relief and my anxiety was lessening. It was like a comfort blanket, really. And overall, what this was doing was just heightening my understanding of why I felt the way that I was feeling because I was thinking the worst case scenario for me. But realizing that I'm just... Another person with anxiety, it's so common. There there are solutions to it. Ah, what a relief. Okay, what do I need to do? So I loved those podcasts. Now, the next thing that you need to do, Beth, is understand that the closer that you get to your demons voluntarily, the stronger you become, and then those demons lose lose their hold, their strong grip over you. Now, a journal is so useful in that regard. Now, what a journal does is it lists off all the all the dialogue that's happening up in the mind, the problems. You list off those problems; they shrink in size. Why? Well, you're shining a light on the problem. The problems of our lives tend to grow the more we push them aside and think, well, I'm going to attend to that later. No, 
it grows, it's going to eat you eventually, and you know you have to deal with it eventually. So writing down in a journal helps shine that light, and it does lessen anxiety because writing is thinking. You're going to think using your left hemisphere, and this, this is so cool. This is really cool. The left hemisphere helps calm down the chaotic right hemisphere because of the rational dialogue. So if you can sit down and write, it helps calm things. It helps puts it puts things into perspective. It's structure because remember, too much chaos, that's crazy anxiety. But adding order to that chaos, what happens? The anxiety lessens. You have a plan of action. It's like putting on a suit of armor before venturing into the dragon's lair. You have to put on that armor. You have to polish it up and you have to put it on slowly and carefully so that everything is fitting nicely and nothing will break and snap so that whenever you fight that dragon, you're ready. So just know that, Beth. Just Sit down with a journal because you don't want to sit in front of the TV. The TV is a distraction. It's only going to push away the problems, right? And you know they're going to be there. That was my thing, right? I would phone in sick, but then at the in the back of my mind, there was this voice saying, oh, what about the next day? You have to eventually show up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I do. I do have to show up. So you lessen the chaotic mind by writing the problems down. You have to sit with the problems so that you can plot your way through the fog, right? That's necessary. It may take weeks to figure the problems out. It, like, it would be a miracle to figure them out today, right? But, but by starting it, even just by starting it, you definitely feel a difference. You feel like you're getting something done. You feel like you're confronting the, the many uh, snakes under the carpet. And then no, stimu uh, no stimuli before bed, one hour before bed. That's TV, that's a laptop, that's phone, that's social media, that's... Um, a caffeine, uh, even food. I tend to avoid food three hours before going to bed. It helps. It helps calm the body down. Binaural beats, really useful. For me, I would play that when I was suffering from severe anxiety. Those calming beats in the background helps create this spa-like tropical atmosphere in my room. So I'm trying to add more love, peace, um, just calming noises for the mind. And that really, that greatly helped me. And I would fall asleep to those beats. And then during the day, I even recommend no caffeine uh, after 12 p.m., that's really big. Keep a consistent sleep and wake time. This is big because 
even though you get up at a, you get up early. Say you say you get up early and then you ha- you didn't go to bed until like three in the morning, right? Keep the time of awake the same and go to bed. Say if you're going to bed at 10, just go to bed at 10. Even if you can't sleep until three, just keep going. Because I've had clients who have had a very poor sleep s- schedule and they had to so slowly, this is what I recommend, slowly over time, condense it into a solid structure. So what I what I mean is, say you're going to bed at 3 and you're getting up at 12. 12. So what, what do you do? Well, start shrinking it. So say, get up 11.30. Then get up, after a week, get up at 11. Then after a week, get up at 10.30. Keep shrinking that sleeping in and then over time it'll extend the going to bed so you might eventually start going to bed around uh, two or then one o'clock and then 12 o'clock and then soon working your way so your your body needs to properly regulate its circadian rhythm to regulate its itself properly i mean not just your internal organs but your, your mental state man your emotions for me, they were all over the place when I was not, I was not sticking to a proper night routine. And then after that, create a sacred space before bed. So you might want to meditate or just sit with yourself. Uh, I love to light candles, incense, take a hot bath with epsom salts become the king or queen of relaxation i in my head because i was doing these practices every night my my head was like well brad you're the king of relaxation man like look at you you're creating a spa in here every single night so yeah i recommend you do those things beth and i hope that in time you see that things gradually get better for you night anxiety is so common so don't be too hard on yourself put the alarm clock in the other room don't even look at it when you wake up in the middle of the night i start i stopped doing that even maggie i told maggie don't look at your clock and then eventually she stopped looking at it and then it helped her she's like brad i felt better i like i'm not sitting in my with my mind thinking oh i gotta get up in two hours oh my god i gotta get up in two hours no just don't look at the clock right it helps so much all right the next question comes in from ken he says what are your views on heaven and hell i'm so glad ken you asked me this because I haven't talked about this, but there are many things about this question that are are vague. First of all, what do you mean? Like an afterlife and what do you mean by heaven? What do you mean by hell? Very vague. Very, It's a very vague question, but I want to break it down into what I think heaven and hell is. First, here on earth, because I think there is no denying the existence of hell here on earth. I mean, we all go through hell in our lives at some point hell becomes more and more self-evident when life around you becomes so chaotic 
and you continue to remain in your sphere of dependency to numb the pain rather than open up your eyes to get yourself out of the place of hell. Now, I've known many people who keep walking into the same potholes every day. You know, those people who continue to complain about their lives, but continue to act the same way, eat the same foods, complain about their weight or their their sores and their aches and pains, but they continue to eat sugar and complex carbohydrates and they continue to see the same toxic people that they complain about and they shake their fist at God continuously. This is a very, well, it's so common now more than ever, I think, but what do these people have in common? Well, they're making, they're tyrants of themselves because they're continuously making things worse for themselves. So they're self-sabotaging themselves. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Heaven, I believe, is being in the service of something beyond yourself. That's what heaven is being in service of something behind yourself. I mean, that's what recovery was and still is for me is to continuously look inwards on what I could do better and what caused me to wind up in certain situations because I have more control over myself than, than I think. And for me, going through recovery, I understood that for things to get better, I was the one who needed to create that. It's not going to come. No, I'm not, I used to wait around for it. It doesn't come. Trust me on that. So for me, my aims were to just follow this North Star of, hey, I just want to be better. I want to get better. What do I need to do? I'm willing to give up so much of my myself. I'm willing to sacrifice that for this higher aim. Now, heaven is to be fully engaged in the spirit of movement beyond your old self, seeing progress, manifesting your potential. I believe you only get to heaven when enough sacrifices are being made. So for me, the gym, the cold bath, the meditation, the diet, ignoring the TV, but reading, I feel more aligned with the day. I feel better when I'm around Maggie. Uh, I'm more in the present moment and I'm calmer, emotionally stable happy, alive. I'm present. I'm engaged. And that's what it means. Like I'm sacrificing instant gratification. I'm, I'm sacrificing alcohol, drugs, you know, uh, McDonald's, um, uh, time in front of the TV to go to the gym, for example. I'm sacrificing all of those things I could just grab right now because I know that if I make the right sacrifices, I get to a certain state of mind and then once I'm there, I feel fully present and engaged and alive. And that's what I'm talking about when I say being in that heavenly state. Because 
There is heaven and hell here on earth. We can create that for ourselves. I've seen many people create hell for themselves here on earth. And I would shake them and go, hey, look what you're doing. Things could be so much better for you if you just started to sort out these habits and rituals you're partaking in daily, but they are willfully blind. They think, no, it's not me, it's the world. No, it's not me, it's all women or all men. No, it's not me, it's God. I was dealt a bad hand and there's no hope for me. And then I say, okay, well, if you change your mind, you know where to find me because what do you do with those people? You know, they're closed off. They're closed off. They, the one of the, most important things to know about psychotherapy is that the client has to first admit that there is something that they need to work on in order for any real progress to take place. Because if they dispense with the North Star, there's no star there. So there's a blackness and they're wandering around in the blackness. There's, no, there's nothing guiding them. So they're blind to any, any progression and they're blind to, well, not only that star, but to their ways of being, their tyrannical ways of being. Now, I want to talk about the spirit of heaven and hell because your spirit, which, you know, it means to inspire, inspire, inspiration, spirit. It continues to manifest here on earth after your consciousness leaves the body, right? Your potential, right? The, the person you manifested. And, you know, a real great person that passes away that inspired you leaves a mark on you. And this is what I mean by heaven and hell in the afterlife. So now we're diving into the afterlife. I believe that when your consciousness ceases to be here in your flesh body, the spirit of who you were still lingers on. And it's that spirit that can have a heavenly aspect or a hellish aspect to it. Now, it's like the spirit of the tyrannical person that doesn't want to change and keeps causing things to be worse, not just for himself, but the people around him. What happens when he passes away or she? And then, you know, you say, oh, I liked Susie or I liked Michael, but, you know, man, he was a hard ass. <laughs> he he was, you know, he he could have reached his potential. He squandered it. He... You know, he just sat around getting fatter. Man, he got, he was cranky most of the time. And that spirit is there even when you're gone. It's how people are remembering you. So like, look at Dumbledore, right? Even after Dumbledore dies, his judgmental spirit still lingers in the mind of the culture. His spirit was in service to the highest good. And so his judgment is the highest when you are not meeting your potential. 
it makes sense. I hear people say that all the time. You know, even though my father has passed away, I still hear his voice in the back of my head. I still have to meet certain expectations. I'm, you know, and I, I understand that. You, That's the spirit of the person that has passed, right? And depending on who they were, well, hopefully they had high expectations. Hopefully they had high aims and goals so that you yourself can strive towards. Maybe their spirit was of discipline and hard work, sacrificing the present for the future. And maybe... And maybe just by embodying that, you can live a fulfilling life. And then your spirit of being that good, noble, honest, truthful, disciplined, adventurous spirit, maybe that spirit can inspire the next generation, your kids. Because... Who do you want to be? Or how do you want to be remembered? Dumbledore's presence brings forth the best from us. Even when he's gone, he's the heavenly spirit. And that's what I'm going to leave you today on this podcast episode. Thank you, everybody, for being here. What do you think about the episode? Please leave your comments below if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on Spotify, please go over and press that rating, rate this podcast, just so that it can reach someone else who is potentially struggling. I mean, we all are to some degree. We're all struggling with some sort of problem, illness, addiction. It's continuous. It's important that we continuously grow and be better. And we grow the right way without relying on culture's misinformation, the pharmaceuticals, the complex carbohydrates, the drugs, alcohol, the crutches of society. Rise above anxiety. I'll see you next time. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com 